0: I'm Scott Bliss, and this is Interview. Brooke Annabelle is a 25-year-old singer-songwriter living in Nashville, Tennessee. She's been writing and performing for at least 10 years and has three albums and an EP to her credit. In many ways, Brooke is a great example of an indie musician in the new digital age of music, and I caught up with her recently at the studios of WESA in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Brooke, your uh, current album, your third, or actually your fourth, if you count the EP, is called Silence Worth Breaking. And every review I've read is filled with positive and glowing comments. You know, Steve Mervis in Pittsburgh Post-Gazette said, Silence Worth Breaking is a lush, polished, major label-sounding neo-folk record in the spirit of Sarah McLachlan or Beth Orton. And the website Stereo Subversion compared you to Colby Calais, John Mayer, and Natalie Merchant. And on Noise Trade, it said, her lyrics bleed with an uncommon wisdom for a 24-year-old as the tales she tells about love, loss, faith, and finding yourself are simultaneously deeply personal and wholly universal in their application. Tell me about writing lyrics, because as I read about you, it really all kind of started there right it went back to that
1: yeah i think definitely making music started with writing lyrics because before i could ever play an instrument i'd start writing lyrics and putting melodies to them even when i was 11 12 years old and then i picked up the guitar at 15 14 15 and so that's really the reason why i started making music was because of the lyrics so
0: now it's just sort of grown from there So you write the lyrics, that leads to learning to play the guitar, and in the midst of high school you release your first album, Memories and Melody. But then you're off to Belmont University in Nashville. Yep. Tell me about Nashville. How important has Belmont and or more important has Nashville been to your career?
1: You know, it's. I think it's really changed me because moving to a city where the industry is music really changes your perspective on things. And where a lot of the industry is country or Christian down there, there are just so many people making music that being around that all the time, whether it was at Belmont or just out in the community, was just really inspiring for me to keep creating music on a more regular basis, I think.
0: And you had Number of internships as well.
1: Yeah, actually.
0: And in a number of different areas, right?
1: Yeah, I I majored in music business, so it was a requirement that we had at least one internship. But I did three. I interned at I N O Records, which is a Christian label. I interned at N S A I, which is the National Songwriters Association or Nashville Songwriters Association International. And I interned at Q Prime which is management company, and they, I guess, most famously manage the Black Keys. I ho- I think they're still working with the Black Keys, but when I was there, they were. And a couple country acts, too. So,
0: so in college, you release your second album, The In-Between. Mm-hmm. And we already know that words, the lyrics, are really important to you. So is there meaning behind the title, The In-Between?
1: Yeah, I think I named that album after that specific song just because college sort of feels like The In-Between. In a lot of ways, just because you you left your home, but you're not quite out on your own yet. And so I felt like that represented that collection of songs.
0: Now, both of those were self-produced, right?
1: Well, the first one, uh, Memories and Melody, I worked with uh, Greg Sparks, who's a guy in Pittsburgh, um, and recorded it over at AAM Studios, which is now owned by Mr. Smalls. And then the second album I did out in the North Hills at Audible Images with uh, Jay Dutt. So those were kind of produced, well, the first one was produced by Greg, and the second one was engineered with Jay and really produced by him as well. So.
0: But then through connections at Belmont... You um, were introduced or you found out about Paul Moak at Smokestack Studios in Nashville. What was it about Paul that made him your choice for producing Silence Worth Breaking?
1: Well, it was kind of funny because... I took a trip to Nashville to play a show and visit some friends, and this was after I had graduated and moved back to Pittsburgh. So I was visiting there, and one of my friends from school, he's the engineer there, he was like, you know, you really got to check out this studio. At this point, I had no idea what I was doing for my next project, but the second that I went into that studio and heard some of the things he was working on and, you know, talked to my friend about, you know, what it would be like to record there, I just, there was I had to do it. There was really no. no other option for me.
0: Being in Nashville, there, there was an emphasis on country or or what?
1: I I think there is a lot of country being recorded there and being written there, but it's pretty amazing the amount of diversity in the scene now. There's a lot of singer-songwriters that aren't doing country, that aren't doing Christian. There's a lot of new indie rock bands emerging. Just a lot a lot of diversity because there's just so many creative people in one place. So there's just so many resources that people pull from, I think. I'm
0: sure that's true. So a producer and studio time costs a lot of money. And you turned to your fans for support.
1: I did, yeah. So tell me about that. I knew a lot of other artists were doing the, the crowdfunding thing. So I sort of researched Kickstarter for a month or two, just sort of seeing what was working for people and what wasn't, and, and figured, well, I really do need this to kickstart this project. So I put a lot of time and thought into all the... You know, all the things that people could pledge on and the video and all the rewards that they could get. And yeah, it turned out really, really well. I was really excited about the results.
0: You know, even though there were other, I guess, uh, performers at the time using it, it was 2010, right? Mm -hmm. And really in the scheme of crowdfunding, that was still very early on. So I think that's really impressive. And I think it speaks to this, the whole new process of making money from music and how that's changed and so forth. So your website, as an example, which is Mm brookannabelle.com, is almost, in my mind, uh, the poster child of the new age. You know, prominently on your homepage is a SoundCloud player. And that allows your fans to listen to your music for free. And beside it is an embedded app for noise trade, where your fans can actually download the entire Silence Worth breaking album for free if they wish. But, you know, isn't that kind of counterintuitive? to hope to make money for living off your music by giving your music away?
1: Well, it's sort of a little experiment I've been doing for the last month. It hasn't been free. It, I just released it as a free download on October 11th because Noise Trade was going to send it out in one of their emails, which goes out to, I think they have 700,000 people on their email list now. So for me, it was sort of like I reached a point with the record where it's been a year and a half now, and what I want to do is sort of grow that that fan base, that email list, the the fans that I can connect with online for the next project. And so it will be free until like next Wednesday or so. So it's about a month that it was free. And I've got a couple thousand new emails and new fans to connect with because of that that might have never... Heard it before, and hopefully, when I release the next thing, they'll say, "Oh yeah, I really like that." Back in October, I should check out the new stuff. So,
0: and out of curiosity, there was an opportunity for a listener to tip you yeah. a certain amount. Yeah, what what was the result of that? How many, you know, percentage wise, how many people tended to tip you versus how many people just download the uh, the music. I've-
1: I think it was a pretty small percentage, but there was still like a decent amount of people that did tip, but it's, it wouldn't equal out to how many. If people had downloaded it on iTunes, it's not even close to that.
0: But the whole so. value, though, is, as you pointed out, that it allowed you to make another connection, though, And and maybe to form a larger mailing list and so forth. Yeah,
1: because the way that they have noise trade set up is really the ideal way to give your album away for free because a person can't get it unless they give you their email address and their zip code. And then right next to where they downloaded it, it says, do you want to share this with your friends? And hey, she's on Facebook and she's on Twitter. Do you want to like her or follow her? So it's all right there for them to just start connecting with me right away
0: and can you tell if that happened
1: yeah i definitely had like a spike in comments or tweets and i tried to respond to some of them and just let people know that i was grateful they were sharing it with their friends
0: too so and to a certain extent is any of this in lieu of airplay like is it difficult to get airplay
1: Um, Yeah, I think so. I think I haven't really pursued um, radio too much besides in Pittsburgh and in Nashville. I think it's hard when there's not a lot of independent stations. And yeah, I think a lot of people go to the internet to hear new music because they can play whatever they want to play right there. So I think that definitely helps balance it out if I'm not getting any
0: airplay to... Throw it out there more on the internet. And what's your experience been with SoundCloud? Has that allowed you to develop a larger community?
1: Um, I haven't really fully invested in SoundCloud and all of its features, but it does. It's it's the best thing I've found for you know taking something and sharing it right on my website so that people can listen or sending a link to to people through email so they can go right there and listen to the whole thing. Because MySpace is kind of irrelevant at this point. So it's not, I wouldn't be putting a MySpace player on my page anymore. So Sure.
0: And I think what I like about SoundCloud, too, is the fact that it allows people to then take an individual cut and to mm-hmm. embed that in social media and to spread that yeah. throughout Facebook or Twitter and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something I noticed. They'll grab, like a blogger would grab their favorite track and include it in their blog post, which is really...
0: Which again, in lieu of radio play, gives you another method of yeah. increasing your audience base.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And you know, we might go to a bookstore and buy a book without reading it. In fact, we do. We you know, we go, we buy the book, we take it home, we read it. But with music, it's really a different experience. We really want to hear it first, don't mm-hmm. we? So all of these methods are a way of disseminating that right to a larger audience. Yeah. All right. So, is there a new formula for being an independent musician these days?
1: I don't know if there's a, a new, if there's a formula at all. It seems like some things work better for some people than others. I definitely think, as far as with connecting with your fans. Being on these websites like, like Twitter and Facebook and being able to you know get a message from someone about how a song touched their life personally is really cool because you don't always get that experience. If I'm not playing in Indiana or wherever that person is from, they sent me a message and I can really see how it's affecting them and really connect with them. And I think that's, I mean, something that I didn't have when I was 15 starting out, you know, it wasn't...
0: Sure, the only feedback you'd get would be as if you were performing in person. Yeah. But now you get a lot of feedback that comes from all these other methods. And that's rewarding to you as an artist. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, earlier this month, New York Magazine published a really interesting article about indie groups. And in fact, it was about the, the indie band Grizzly Bear. And it suggested that even as successful as they are, they're not getting rich being indie performers. But what I thought was more important was that they they provided a list of things that musicians need to do these days in terms of getting their their music out to the audience and so forth. Now, you know, one of the first things, of course, is the individual CD. Did you actually even make CDs of your current album? Mm Mm-hmm. So yep. there are physical copies. Yep. So for instance with amazon.com somebody's going to buy a physical copy?
1: Um with Amazon it's kind of tricky because they get the CD from CD Baby which is an independent distribution that I would
0: You would work send it with them. To.
1: So mm-hmm. their price is like way higher than if you went right to my website and bought it from me mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you went to CD Baby or wherever else it, it, it is online. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's it's different because I mean the digital sales are more of what you get these days than a
0: sale on Amazon. So. so for instance iTunes is a market for you.
1: Yeah, definitely. Is
0: that one of the bigger markets for you?
1: Yeah, and it's something that now I can track weekly. They send you weekly reports. I go through a company called TuneCore now. And they send weekly reports of where it's selling and how many it sold and which singles sold and then you'll get a monthly a monthly payment from it. So Sure. Yeah.
0: Okay, great. You know, Zoe Keating, I don't know if you follow Zoe Keating. Mm-hmm. She's, a, she's a celloist and she's okay. sort of the best example of having gone out independently and made a living through using especially iTunes. as well as touring. And she likes iTunes because it's sort of a classical store environment. There's a set price, you get a certain amount based upon their commission and so on and so forth. But she talks about the fact that a lot of that, in her case, seems to be changing now with a lot of it going to the new streaming Mm -hmm. aggregators like Spotify. Now, Spotify, as an example, pays you like next to nothing.
2: Exactly.
0: It's like point zero 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 whatever. So are you, do you track that as well? I know you're on Spotify.
1: Yeah, I do get information about the streams that I get from Spotify. And I've had thousands of streams on there, but maybe 10 bucks every couple of months or something like that comes that, from
0: that. And so. that's a real problem. I mean, obviously, if we're, you know, and I find it even with myself. Now, for instance, I downloaded, I tipped you, but I downloaded that that album, and yet I still find myself listening to that same album on Spotify. Uh-huh. So, and I do that because I presume it's more convenient for me, right? I can yeah. listen to it on different platforms and so on and so forth. It just seems to be that I'm that I'm beginning to migrate that way. And yet that whole scheme of paying the musician is almost non-existent. Now, are you also on Pandora?
1: I am, yes. And that's even more confusing to me.
0: (laughs) But maybe a little bit better, though, right? Or not?
1: Actually, I've had my music on Pandora for several years since, you know, before Spotify existed, and I think maybe I've gotten one royalties payment from them in the in the past i don't know how many years i don't know that they had a proper thing set up for independent artists um and i hadn't looked into it enough to know i honestly thought that it was just free and i didn't get anything from it for a while so but i think spotify is a little more well set up for that and with spotify it's interesting like i go on there to listen to something to see if i want to buy it because then i can listen to the whole album and then know yeah i want to have
0: this in my car or wherever. So
1: yeah, it's a it's So a again to world.
0: you it's a it's a method of distributing, it's a method of reaching additional ears. Yeah. Unfortunately that streaming doesn't really provide much income, but hopefully it drives interest that will take them somewhere else. Yeah. To bandcamp or to Amazon or to iTunes or whatever. Yeah. You know, um, how important to you is touring these days?
1: In the last year I really haven't done that much touring because I tried to do a lot right when I got out of college, but it just kinda of of wears on you to, because I was booking all the shows and, and traveling to these places where you don't know if you're going to play for three people or not, so I'm trying to choose the shows more wisely that I that I travel long distance to, and um, I just started working with a booking agent uh, a month or so ago, and so we're trying to plan out some things, trying to get some opening spots um, to hopefully build up an audience in those different markets
0: Now, another avenue, though, for you has been licensing, right? Mm -hmm. you had a number of opportunities so far with various TV shows, right? Yeah. And that's something where, how does that come about? Is that something you go out and develop, or is that something that comes to you?
1: Um, Well, it was something I was wondering about for years, um, because it's always been a big dream of mine to have something on TV or film. So when I made this new record, I, I sought out a company that I knew about in L.A., And actually, there was a girl there that went to Belmont with me. So I emailed her and she said, you know, we're pretty full on music right now, but you should check out this other Belmont graduate who just started her own licensing company. And so what she does is she pitches the music to the film and TV supervisors, and she did a great job in the last year. And some.
0: So One Tree Hill is an example. Yeah. And what were the others?
1: The first one was uh, another CW show called The Heart of Dixie, and there were three on One Tree Hill, and then uh, I had one on ABC Family Show called Jane by Design, and then some smaller, like, instrumental things on MTV shows and CMT shows, so...
0: And when, when that plays, do you see a bump in your sale?
1: Definitely with uh, One Tree Hill, there was a big bump because they had, in two of the episodes that my song was in, I had the option to put what they call an ad card at the end of the episode, which was music in tonight's episode, by And then they'd list like two or three of the people that had songs in the episode. And so I had that at the end of two episodes. And so then not only did someone hear it, but now they know exactly to look
0: for so again a new way of distributing right yeah and also um, I, I love the fact that it all goes back to your original connections both at Belmont University yeah. and Nashville and so forth yeah and that's probably I mean I mean what led you to leave Pittsburgh? What what brought about this idea of leaving Pittsburgh and going to Nashville? Yeah,
1: it's it's kind of funny because when I first started applying to colleges my senior year, I wasn't looking anywhere further than Cleveland. And my the producer that I worked with on the album said, who had been down to Nashville a couple of times, he said, have you ever heard of Belmont University? They have this music business program. They have a great music program. You should check it out. I thought, Nashville, it's nine hours away. I'm so close with my family. I don't know. <laughs> but we went down there and checked it out. And I looked at my dad and I said, I, I don't know, I can't imagine finding a better fit for myself. So that's where I went.
0: <laughs> and it's worked out obviously well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think.
0: So tell me, what's the best part about being an independent musician?
1: I think since I studied music business and I've always been interested in entrepreneurial like things, it's being able to control all of that to, to call your own shots or to go your own direction. I mean, I'd, obviously, I don't know what it's like to work or a label. But it's just nice to be able to create music as it comes to me. And now that I'm living in Nashville, just going in and recording it when I'm ready, like right then. And just being the, constantly creating music and being able to do whatever I
0: would like with it. <laughs> Does it live up to the dreams of the 14-year-old girl?
1: I can't really imagine doing anything else. And I'm, now I'm 25. So I think I think definitely I would have stopped by now if if this wasn't what I wanted <laughs> in life.
0: And you've decided to live in Nashville now, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've been there about a year now,
0: so. And with access, obviously, to the all of the music and so forth that's yeah. around in Nashville. Do you have to do anything else? Do you have to supplement your income? Are you also a famous cook or, you know, what? You know? Well,
1: up until about a week ago, I was, I was a barista at Starbucks for mm-hmm. about 11 months. Um, and I decided with the holidays approaching and with some more more touring that I was doing in the next couple months that it was just time for me to, to step away and really focus 100% on music, at least for
0: this season. <laughs> True. So when you plan for a show like Tonight, what what's going to be on the playlist tonight? What is going to be primarily the newest album? What?
1: Yeah, definitely primarily still the newest album, but I also have been working on a new EP, and so I've got a couple of those songs on the set list for Tonight, and it'll be the first time for some of them that I'm
0: playing them live, so it's going be exciting so what can you play for us that would maybe be something from tonight
1: um yeah i can i mean i can play whatever i could do my my go-to song if you'd like that's fine which is the first song on the album under
2: Streetlights. Sure. Sweet
0: Mind. Thank you. That was great. Thanks, nice. Brooke Annabelle. The album is Silence Worth Breaking. Brooke, what keeps you going in music?
1: I think you know, like I said before, that I don't. I can't really picture myself doing something else. I feel like just like when I was in high school, if the songs keep coming out of me, I have to keep writing them, and I have to keep playing them, and I don't really know what i would do if i didn't do this i think it's just really my passion in life i think it's what makes me happy and i think that you've got to you've got to
0: just keep pursuing that if that's what it is and you're working on a new ep now
1: i am yeah it's um it's actually all finished up i'm just sort of figuring out the all the final details of putting it all together as a complete package so
0: great thank you very much thank you it's been great thanks all right We've been talking to Nashville singer-songwriter Brooke Annabelle prior to her recent show at Club Cafe in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about Brooke by visiting her website, brookeannabelle.com. You can find her music on SoundCloud, and you can purchase it just about anywhere digital music is sold, including iTunes. The music used throughout this program is the original property of Brooke Annabelle. This program is recorded and produced by me, Scott Bliss. Thanks for listening. Scott, Can we just do Hi, an interview son. a little bit. Yeah. Right, how are you? Good. How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Where's your favorite place to perform?
1: I really like playing here, honestly. <laughs> Not just saying that cuz I'm standing here. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know. That's a tough one. I just I really like this But this venue. is home. Yeah. yeah. This feels like my hometown show venue kind of thing.